but it is RJLA family. I am Angela Birdsong, your conversation piece host on RadioJustice.org. And the real day-to-day happenings of urban living locally and worldwide. For you while staying safe at home, are masked on the bus, train, plane, everywhere. Today on Conversation Piece, meet award-winning filmmaker Mobilaji Olambiwanu as he discusses his first featured film, Ferguson Rises, and how the death, the murder of 18-year-old Michael Brown seven years ago on August 9, 2014, moved Mobilaji to do something to expose social injustice, racial injustice, discrimination, and inequality. Also, to be able to answer his own son when, if asked, where were you when? His film, Ferguson Rises, goes beyond the news reports and the periphery of Ferguson going to the heart of the community of Ferguson, Missouri, by the way of Michael Brown's father's grief, the family and friends of Michael Brown, while drawing a narrative from within the city for hope, love, and renewal. Welcome to Conversation Peace. This is for the masses, the lower classes, ones you left out, jobs were given better living, but we were kept out, made to feel inferior, but we're superior, break the chains on our brains that made us fear you, pledge allegiance to a flag that neglects us, honor a man that refused to respect us, emancipation, proclamation, please, Lincoln just said that to save the nation, these are lies that we've all accepted, say no to drugs, but the government's kept it, running through our community, killing the unity, the war on drugs is a war on you and me, and yet, they say this is the home of the free, you ask me, it's all about the Constitution, no it don't apply to me. And Lady Liberty, stupid bitch, lie to me. This may be strong, I know it's gonna like what I'm pumping, but it's wrong. She keeps someone from learning something, so get up. It's time to start nation building. I'm fed up. We gotta start teaching children that they can be all that they want to be. It's much more to life than just poverty. This is definitely uh words of wisdom. America, America, America. Tribeca Film Festival audience award winner and filmmaker, of course, Mobilaji Olambuanu. Welcome to Conversation Peace. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be on. Yes, a long time coming. I saw your film in the Tribeca Film Festival, Ferguson Rises, and oh my goodness, audience, you guys have to see this film. When it comes to your town, it is here in Los Angeles, but we'll get more to that a little bit, a little bit later. Why Ferguson? So many other killings by police to choose from. How did you decide upon the murder of Michael Brown? Um, I mean, I think, I mean, ultimately the people on the ground in Ferguson um, put it best in that they said Ferguson is everywhere, right? So um, I think, you know, it could have been any other town because any other town is Ferguson, right? Um, I mean, we like to think of all these things as, uh, as isolated incidences, um, but in fact, you know, they're all connected, right, to a large continuum of Black struggle and Black, um, you know, uh, oppression, I guess, um, globally. 
Um, but Ferguson specifically was, um, it's, it, um, I think it, it, it came to me that this was the time for me to do it. I mean, I think, you know, everything is about timing. Um, I think Trayvon Martin's uh, murder really hit home for me, um, you know, a couple years prior. And, um, and it really um, opened me up in a way that I did not expect, you know, because I'd, I'd heard about these, these killings, um, but there wasn't really a face to the name, you know, and Trayvon Martin's face, I think, became um, much more ubiquitous than, um, than other faces had prior. And, and just him being a teenager, a 17-year-old, that, I mean, that really hurt deeply. Um, and, um, and that was a time when I wanted to do something about it, but I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. And then when Michael Brown was killed, um, my wife was seven months pregnant with our son. And, um, and being in that vulnerable space of, of, of being um, or about to, you know, someone, you know, about to be a father, I was about to be a father and being in that vulnerable space um, where you're thinking about the future and you're thinking about your child and what's out there. Um, I couldn't help but think, you know, this is not the world that I want for my son. Um, I couldn't help but think, um, you know, that could be my son 18 years from now on the ground. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and symbolically in a way, right, that is all of us on the ground, right? Um, you know, that could be and any of us at any minute and, and could and could have been any of us. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think the, the four and a half hours on the ground, um, the, the, the internet sort of um, exposure, I think really, um, really connected me with the subject matter, I think in a way that, um, that I hadn't been, you know, connected with things prior to Trayvon Martin. And then most importantly, um, I think uh, it just seemed like the stars aligned at that moment. Um, my wife was seven months pregnant with our son. And I kept thinking, um, my parents are immigrants that came to this country. Um, and in some ways, I guess, um, they came to this country in the 60s um, to study uh, from Jamaica and Nigeria and, um, and, I, and to New York. And I remember asking them, you know, hey, you know, you, you know, Malcolm X was speaking at that time, all kinds of stuff was going on. Did you go see these people where you were involved? And they were like, you know, no, we were just studying. We're, you know, we're doing our thing. We, you know, I don't, I didn't gather from them that they really were active at, at that time. And, uh, and, and as a 20-something year old, when I asked that question to them, it, their answer was unsatisfactory. Um, now I understand the nuances of their decisions as immigrants and all that other stuff, but, but then it was very unsatisfactory. So um, I know there will come a point in time when my son will ask me, you know, what did you do during this time period? And the last thing that I wanted to tell him was that I did nothing, you know? And so, um, and so with, you know, motivated by, by his spirit, um, by who he's going to be and who I want him to be in the world, um, I, I sort of pushed forward with the idea of going, but did not mention it until um, out loud verbally until, um, until my wife um, a week later, as a week after I'd been thinking about it, she was seven months pregnant. She wasn't doing very well. Um, and so I wasn't going to bring it up to her and say, hey, you know, I want to go leave and put myself in harm's way while you're about to have a child and you're not feeling well. So that, that just didn't seem like the appropriate um, response or appropriate time to have a conversation. So um, independent of all my thoughts, my wife turned to me a week later after, after I'd been thinking about it heavily. And she said, I think you need to go to Ferguson. And so it was with with that sort of um, 
uh, synergistic, um, or what do you want to call it? Um, uh, you know, that, that sort of um, mind meld, I guess, in the sense that just was, was further confirmation that I needed to go and I needed to do something. And, um, and this whole process with the film has been very much about um, a series of coincidences, a series of miracles that have led us to this point where we actually finished the film um, seven years later because, um, you know, this is my first feature, feature film. I've worked for other people, um, but working for other people and creating your, your own film are um, very distinct from one another. I did not know that at the time when I started making this, but, um, but they're very distinct in terms of the skill sets necessary um, when you're making your own film. You got to be able to do everything if you have to. And that is not the case when you're hired to do one thing, you know. So anyway, I'll I'll uh, I'll elaborate more on that later. But um, I will just say that so that was the inspiration was was my son, and also um, I will say that when I was 19 years old, I was also arrested and framed um, by the police um, in New Jersey, and so um, I couldn't help but really see myself on the ground, right. Um, when I saw Michael, the, the images of Michael Brown, because I thought about, you know, you know, yeah, if my police interactions had gone the wrong way, that could have, could very well have been me on the ground. Um, so it had a, a, a very clear um, resonance because, um, because I was 19, he was 18. Um, my son was about to be born. There were just a lot of things that, you know, I was, I was already coming off of the Trayvon Martin and all the other things that arose um, after that. And then here we land on um, on Michael Brown, and it was just um, it was necessary to um, as an outlet, as a way of maintaining my sanity, and uh, you know because I was angry, I, I, I was you know um, you know yeah I was going you know yeah I was angry, I was hurt by the whole thing, and that's you know, and I can't imagine what the family went through considering that's what I you know what I went through, and I didn't even know him. Um, so I just couldn't help, but I think it all just came to a head and I had to do something. So how much time after your wife said, I think you should go that you actually got on a plane and went and who went with it and who went with you? Yeah, no, when she, when she said that, I mean, I, I hung up the phone with her. I mean, I was still, I was still pumped. Um, i not hung up the phone. I stopped talking. She was talking to me in the kitchen and, uh, no, I called my, uh, my friend right away. My friend who's a cinematographer, Jerry Henry. Um, and um, I called him right away and I was like, hey, man, you working? And he's like, no, no, not for the next couple of weeks or whatever it was. And I was like, cool, um, let's go to Ferguson. And, um, and, and so I think I spent either a week or two weeks. I can't remember how long it was, but it's nowhere, no, no more than two weeks calling people and prepping and trying to see who we could um, and looking through my Facebook to see who was from St. Louis that I already knew in L.A. Um, and trying to gather up some numbers and get some interviews going. Um, and then we flew out, you know, we flew out in two weeks. Um, so um, there was no real preparation. Um, not what I would suggest to anybody starting a film, but, um, but you know, that's what we did. Uh, we didn't really know what we were gonna find. We didn't know very many people on the ground. We had a couple of names, a couple of leads. Um, you know, was this gonna be a short film? Was this gonna be a feature film, feature length film? I didn't initially anticipate or think of it as a feature length film. I didn't know what it was. Um, and um, I knew that um, for my son, you know, for black people um, and then for other people as well that um, I needed to tell this story in a way that was different from what the media had done with the story. Um, I knew that um, I needed to create a narrative that would leave my son 
um, when he gets to the age where we begin to have these conversations, the, a narrative that would leave him with a sense of wholeness, um, a sense that, of agency, you know, in his own life, um, you know, a sense that, uh, that you know, that um, you can find purpose in, in your pain because as Black people, we live with a lot of that, right? You can find purpose in your pain and you can find um, a sense of self through community um, and a sense of, of resilience through, um, through those partnerships and relationships that you create in community. Um, you know, I think the only thing that, um, that, that buoys us up and keeps us alive is that, right? And keeps us um, with, with a certain element of faith in this environment, especially, um, which can be hostile. Um, so I wanna leave my son with the idea that, you know, not the idea that you're gonna wind up dead, which is what the news leaves him with, um, but with the idea that that tragedy may happen, but you get to choose who you're going to be in the face of all that. You know, are you going to be a helper? Are you going to be someone who contributes? Are you going to be someone who spins that into into gold, or are you going to be someone who who crumbles? Um, and I wanted to show him the example of people who chose to to spin that into gold. Let's just talk about your background a little bit, because I want people to know that. You're just not somebody who just said, hey, let me just go to Ferguson, find, find me um, I'm a, um, a cameraman to go with me. But your background is in film. Tell right. us about, about your background. Um, so, I mean, I, I went to, uh, I mean, I've always had an interest in film since I was 17 years old, since I saw, I think, my first uh, Spike Lee movie. I think, I, I think the first one I saw was School Days, if I remember correctly. Um, did I see, no, my parents didn't let me go see She's Gotta Have It because I was too young for <laughs> but, um, but, um, yeah, I, my first one was School Days, um, in the theaters, and, um, and sadly, I, I was offended by that movie, actually, um, and I think this is important because, because, I, because my family doesn't come from America, I think, um, I'm acutely aware of how the images that African Americans put out there damage um, their reputation abroad. And so while we may think that Girls Trip or um, all these other films, no disrespect to the filmmakers, but, but we may think that all these other films are harmless because they're just humor and they're Black people making fun of themselves or whatever else, these um, unfortunately become the images that are pro proliferated globally. And so people begin to think of Black people in, in, a, you know, in a sort of single story sort of way as, as buffoonish, or as, as you know, as clownish, et cetera, and so, um, and so I saw um, I saw School Days, and um, and I didn't get the cultural nuances. I'd been in America. I got my parents moved back to Nigeria. I had spent my early childhood in Nigeria, and so I came to America when I was nine. Even though I was seventeen or sixteen um, when I watched School Days, um, I had only been in the United States maybe six or seven years, and and. Um, and so while I sounded American, I also didn't understand the cultural nuances in quite the same way that I do now after being here, you know, um, many more years um, or many more decades, I should even say. Um, but um, so, yeah, I mean, so that was my influence was um, I saw the film and I thought, you know what, I, I, I want to make films. I want to make films that that make black people look positive. Um, Spike Lee relies a lot on, on sort of the internal comedy that exists in the African-American community, which I appreciate, but, but I think it's also internal for a reason. Sometimes when you make it external, people miss um, the intelligence behind it. They miss the nuance behind it and they only see the surface level sort of comedic buffoonery and they miss that, that you know, black people are, are an intelligent and um, sort of complex 
you know, group of individuals who who use comedy as a means uh, to an end, not as, you know, it, it's not comedy in, in the way that, uh, yeah, that that we, uh, most people would understand it, that it, it's, it's, a, it's a means of survival, right, in a lot of ways. And so um, understanding those nuances, which I didn't then, um, I, I think without understanding those, you put these, these images out in the world and people begin to consume them in a way that is counter to what we're actually trying to, to create. So anyway, but so that was my inspiration anyway, was, was seeing his film and thinking, you know what, I, I want to do this. Um, and then it took me a while to figure out how you become a filmmaker, because, you know, back in those days, I didn't even know anybody who was a filmmaker. There was, you know, there was no internet, there was no, you know, so it was like, and then I asked around, but who, you know, no one around me was a filmmaker, you know, so um, wound up getting to UCLA. I knew that Spike Lee majored in communications. Um, and so I said, okay, well, I guess I'll try to get in the communications, communications major. Had no idea that UCLA had a film major, um, you know, so it would have been easier just to go directly into the film major. And then, so by the time I was in my maybe third or fourth year at UCLA, people were like, you know, if you want to make film, you could have just majored in film. And I was like, what? There's a film major at UCLA? Um, so at that point in time, I was so far along in my communications major that I didn't even know there was a film major. Um, you know, this again, before the internet, before any, you know, any real overt ways of finding information out besides going to the library and researching. And, um, and, um, and, then I, and then at the end, right around the time when I was about to graduate, I discovered that the kind of communications that Spike Lee majored in was television uh, production associated, not communication theory. So, so at that point, I was like, man, you mean I majored in the wrong kind of communications? But, but it was already, you know, I'd already did, I'd already done it. And it was, uh, it was a wonderful experience. And I learned how to critique the media and look at the media um, in, 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 in really appropriate, I think, ways and not trust, you know, on face value, everything that I'm seeing. And then I went to graduate school at the American Film Institute for, um, for directing. Um, and that's where I furthered my studies and got my master's there. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm not into this. I didn't get into this by um, just by happenstance right before um, Ferguson. I'd been shooting for people, editing, um, mostly shooting, um, and, uh, and then also doing some producing and other, other sorts of work um, for many decades prior since, since college. Um, you know, since I was 20, 21 years old, I've been shooting weddings and doing all those other things when I first started out and then, and then moved into... Um, into the documentary realm um, because some folks were were generous enough to say, "Hey, look, man, I, you know, let's let's test you out. You got a steady hand. Um, let's test you out." And I started shooting, and that um, that became my passion um, for many years. And um, yeah, and that and then that turned into my realizing that I'm helping everybody else make their film. And they have less experience than I do. I might as well make my own. And then came Ferguson. Then came Ferguson, or then there were there's some other short videos before then, but essentially, and film school projects. But yes, then came, then came Ferguson. And how long? So you were so you and and your cinematographer get on a plane, land in St. Louis. What do you see first? Was was it just a where we're in the airport? We're getting in the cab or. I think the first thing that we had to do uh, was honor um, the dead, honor, um, I, mean, I don't think that we thought about it in this way as overtly, but we knew we had to go to um, honor the spirit of Michael Brown Jr. So we went, we, the first thing that we did um, was, if I remember correctly, was go to the site where he was killed. And, um, and that was truly um, 
a spiritual pilgrimage, you know, despite whatever people think about Michael Brown and whether he did it, whether he didn't do it, whatever, you know, um, a life was lost. Um, I call it, you know, ritual sacrifice took place. Um, you know, uh, America, I think, um, you know, thrives quite often on ritual sacrifice. Um, you know, so uh, that's what took place um, in many ways. And, and, you know, ritual sacrifice takes place, uh, takes place often in this country. Um, and so we wanted to go to the place that this, um, that this young man lost his life. And, um, and in doing so, um, you know, what was really fascinating, I will actually say this really quickly, um, what was really fascinating was there, there was an energy in, at that place. And um, um, what we saw were all kinds of people, people from like, they were like, I was driving from New York to DC and I felt like I had to stop here, you know, I was doing this or whatever, I was you know, wherever they were driving from, people from out of the country, people from out of state, everybody just who was going through Missouri or there for a convention, they were, they were, they were all there at the site. Um, there was just this really, um, really powerful energy. Um, and then on a spiritual level for me, um, you know, I had never experienced this before, but, but the only time um, prior to the, or the only time that I'd experienced this, um, you know, before 2014, um, or the only time I experienced this was in, at Michael Brown's, um, the place of his, of his murder was essentially um, I, I could feel my body vibrating when I got there. Um, and, um, I couldn't figure out, it's like, I'm feeling this energy. I'm feeling this vibration. I'm feeling this, you know, I have, I'd never felt that prior. So I didn't know what it was. Um, but then I had automatically turned to my cinematographer and I looked at him and said, man, you feeling that too? And I'm like, yeah, I thought it was just me. I thought I was crazy. And he's like, nope, it's not you. I'm feeling, I'm feeling the exact same thing. So there was this energy, there was this sort of um, you know, quickening in, in the body that was taking place. I mean, just something I just un, unfathomable. I just, I never, like I said, I never experienced it prior. So um, it became this sort of spiritual experience for us. We, uh, we could, I could feel the power of, of that young man um, still there, still palpable, palpable in the space. And, um, and it just was, it was one of the most moving and memorable moments that, you know, after that we interviewed people and we talked to people and everything else, but um, but that moment stuck with me for many years until we finished the film. Um, and, uh, and actually, ironically enough, when we finished the film, um, when I finally got the edit that I was proud of, um, I, we, I was watching it with my wife and my body be began to vibrate again. And, um, and I didn't even notice it then. I didn't notice I was shaking. Uh, and my wife turned to me, she said, you're shaking. And I, and I looked down and I'm like, oh, my hand's shaking. And I'm like, oh, I am shaking. I, I didn't even notice that. She's like, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, and then, and then, and then it was in that moment, six and a half years later that I realized, this, oh, this is what I felt when I was, uh, when I was on the ground in Ferguson at, at the, at the site where Michael Brown was killed, you know, and I was like, oh, that's the feeling, you know, and then, it, so, so there was this full circle sort of spiritual moment. I've been back to the site that Michael Brown was, was killed and many times um, since 2014, I did not feel that all those other times. I only felt it the first time. And I, and, I, and I felt it when I finished this movie. So in a way, um, I saw for myself or I felt that this was in some way, shape or form, some kind of you know, message from Michael Brown that we had completed the cycle. We had, we had done the, the, the work that he had asked us to do. And, um, and we had told his story in a way that, that was worthy of, uh, that, that offered him the respect and humanity that he deserves, um, that all human beings deserve, regardless of whatever mistakes they've made, um, you know, 
that humanity. Um, people cannot be and should not be robbed of that humanity. And our commitment in making the film was to bring that humanity to him uh, through his father. And then by extension, bring that humanity to all black men and all black people, uh, male or female, right? Because Sandra Bland and um, you know some of the other names of, of black women, there's so many names of black women who lost their lives to police violence as well that we often forget. So I don't wanna leave that, make it seem like it is only black men because uh, too many people forget that the black women lose their lives to this as well. And, um, and I wanted to honor that. Um, I mean, in this specific instance, we're not focusing on a black woman, but, um, but I still, in spite of that, want to honor um, the lives that are lost and, and bring some level of humanity that the media does not often bring to our stories um, and to, our, to the deaths of our people. They, they seem commonplace to most people. Um, and, that's, and that's a shame. You know, no life lost should be, uh, should be commonplace at all. Indeed, indeed. Let's take a break. Mm -hmm. Before George Floyd, before Breonna Taylor, before Black Lives Matter, there was Michael Brown Jr. Ferguson Rises, a life-changing documentary. You're listening to Conversation Piece on radiojustice.org. I'm Angela Birdsong, your host, with my guest, Mobilaji Olambiwanu. We'll be right back. Can't call it, can't call it. Never came from deep pockets. Why can't I make a deposit? Uh, can't call it. Uh, can't call it. Yeah. Can't call it. Uh, I can't call it. I never came from deep pockets. Why can't I make a deposit? Can't call it. Yeah. I can't call it. Oh, I had so many days of crying. Oh, I had so many days of pain. Have you ever been as sad as I am? Lord, I ask if anything would change I can see the future that we're heading I would say it's better not to tell If it's anything like this in heaven Maybe I'd be better off in hell I'm Angela Birdsong and you're listening to Conversation Peace on RadioJustice.org Ferguson Rises, it's a story of a father's grief and a small town that gave rise to the global Black Lives Matter movement. Welcoming back my guest, Mobilaji Olambiwanu, filmmaker. This is, this is his first featured film, Ferguson Rises. You guys, I saw it and I'm gonna see it again. I'm going to see it again. It is playing, it is playing locally right here in the Los Angeles area at the Lemley Theaters in Santa Monica. We'll give you more information on that in a second, but another question. Everybody knows about Ferguson, Mike Brown. We've seen it on the news. We, you know, sound bites and everything. Your film, Ferguson Rises, what is told in the film that people outside of Ferguson or, and, and perhaps local residents in Ferguson will discover and learn from your film, Ferguson Rises. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I almost hear two questions in there. What differentiates this from all the other, from the other films that were made on Ferguson? Um, and also um, what can people perhaps learn from this film in general, right? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, what for me differentiates this film from other films, for sure, there have been two other films on Ferguson, um, both good films, um, you know, um, one that was centered around um, two female um, activists, um, another that was centered around, you know, did Michael Brown do it, did he not do it, the, the sort of um, logistics of the, um, of the crime scene. Um, you know, this film is different in that um, we focus on the people, um, the people in the community, um, both black and white, um, both police officers and non-police officers, activists and non-activists, um, to get a more sort of well-rounded perspective on how people were impacted by the murder of Michael Brown. Um, we, also, um, we also focus on the father as a through line and never before have I seen a film that focuses on fathers in grief, for one. Um, and then even more granularly, um, I've never seen a film focus on black fathers in grief. Um, uh, I have never really seen this issue broached with men, you know, whatsoever, really. Um, and so this, it was very important to me to use this as an opportunity for black men to, um, to experience their own hum humanity. Um, I also wanted it to be a film that allowed the rest of the world to experience black male humanity. Um, I think quite often we represent ourselves in, in very harsh ways. Um, we represent ourselves, you know, um, or the representations we see of ourselves are, are rappers who don't care or, you know, whatever, who are tough and from the street and blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, and that, that's certainly one side of who we are, right, based on our experience here in, on this continent. But there are many sides to who we are. And, um, and I don't want those other sides to be left out because in the absence of, of seeing those sides, um, we wind up in a situation where, um, where it's easy to demonize black men, where it's easy to kill black men, right? They're that menacing person who drinks Hennessy all day long, you know, who's crazy or, you know, drinks scissor all day long and, you know, and screams a lot and, 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 is, and is misogynistic and hates women. You know, it's easy to let that person die. It's easy to let something bad happen to that person. But when we see black men as our brothers, um, when we see those those people who are even maligned as misogynistic and as you know drinking scissor or whatever you want to call it, um, and we see the humanity of, of those people as well, I'm not you know because I don't want to deny them of their humanity either. But the way that they represent represent themselves or the way the media represents them certainly robs them of that. And we want everybody to um, to to uh, be imbued with a sense of um, or to be left with a sense of black male um, humanity and, um, and, and, and by extension, the humanity of all people. But I think if the least among us are seen as human beings, then, the, then everybody else is cool, right? So, um, so I think in this case, um, we wanted to really focus on black men. You said, you mentioned in your bio about your cinematic goal. Did Ferguson Rises, does, does this film uphold to that goal, and um, then, and let and let us know what that goal is. I, I can easily just read it right from your bio, but let's hear it from you because it may have changed. Um, I haven't read my bio in a long time, so I'm trying to remember. Um, I'm trying to remember the line, but um, that but our, our, our something about our our our, 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 our mutually shared humanity or 
um, I'm blanking on it now. Um, <laughs> I was like, but no, you, no, you said, you said um, it's, it's your, your goal to use cinema as a tool to share diverse cultural and political experiences, critique the superficial conditions that divide us and accentuate the merits of shedding our prejudices. Right. Yeah, no, that goal is, um, that goal is very much the same um, for me. I mean, I think um, my experience with the people of Ferguson, the ones, that I, um, the ones that I met, both black and white, the ones I disagreed with or agreed with, um, what I got, and I think what you'll take away from the film, which is unique, is, is a sense of, of all their humanity, you know, um, of each person's humanity, despite the fact that you may agree or disagree with them, there, there are, um, you get a sense of who they are as human beings and, um, and, and the, the importance and the, the kindness and the gentleness that I think exists because underneath all that bravado that, um, that most people are expressing, um, you know, as they confront others, um, there's a vulnerable side to each and, each and every one of us. And I really wanted to focus on that side. So, um, so we're able to see the humanity of white people. We're able to see the humanity of black people, which is much more necessary in this day and age. Um, but in order to be able to talk across those lines and real, really be able to move things forward, I think we have to, um, to see each other first as human beings. Um, and, uh, you know, it may be easier for us sometimes as Black folks to see white people as human beings because we get a broad variety of images in the media um, that represent whiteness, um, but we get very few images in the media um, that represent a broad array of Blackness. Um, and I think, um, so my attempt to, with this film was to represent that broad array of Blackness um, and at the same time, bring a, a level of humanity to, to the white people in the film as well. Um, even though they're not necessarily the primary focus, um, there was, there's no need to be disrespectful to some in order to be respectful to others. You know, I, I think, um, you know, it, um, yeah, it's not a zero sum game. We can be, we can be respectful to all people yet still push an agenda that, that furthers the rights of, and the, uh, of, of black people really. Now, some of the people that you, interviewed in Ferguson Rises, some of the, the white residents in, in Ferguson who really didn't, well, you know, the, the ones who needed to understand black humanity, did they get to see the film and what, and do, do you know their response to it? I, I know, I know that there was one particular um, um, white couple that did go to uh, where, where Michael Brown was, was laying in the street for, for hours. Mm -hmm. um, we're gonna be showing in St. Louis in November. Um, so that'll be the time um, at the St. Louis International Film Festival. I don't think it's actually been announced yet. Um, so I may be uh, doing something, saying something I'm not supposed to say. Um, so, uh, Erase the St. Louis International Film Festival. We're, we're going to be showing in St. Louis in November. I won't say where, but it'll be available to audiences to be able to watch. So I hope that at that time, once we invite them, they'll come. Um, I know they're very fearful, as many white people were fearful on the ground um, when I interviewed them, that I was going to depict them as horrible people. And so a lot of them, um, in their sensitivity, refused to be interviewed. Um, but this couple chose to be interviewed. They allowed themselves to be vulnerable to be on camera. Um, so I give them, uh, you know, much respect for, for, for at least attempting 
to uh, to be open. Um, you know, we have a Republican member in, in the film, or Republican white Republican male in the film. Um, you know, he was in the film, and you know, so I give him credit for attempting to um, to you know for coming to the table and, and attempting to be part of the conversation. Um, I think the other folks, um, the other white folks in the film, were even more vulnerable and even more generous with their time. So. Um, so while at the same time, I did not always agree with their points, I also wanted to respect their generosity, respect their hospitality, um, and respect them as human beings. Because um, again, we don't get anywhere by disrespecting people, is my personal belief. But um, you know, we may not get anywhere by respecting people, I don't know. But at the very least, I was raised to respect, you know, to respect people, um, and particularly those who are older than myself, um, coming from Nigeria and Nigerian and Jamaican tradition, but primarily Nigerian tradition. So, um, so yeah, so I felt like that's how, that's how I really approached um, the filmmaking process um, was um, as an acknowledgement of their generosity, yet, yet and still also um, something that, that critiqued um, the things that were incorrect, and, but, but allowed that to be more of an organic uh, critique uh, from members within the film rather than me have being heavy handed about uh, my need to, um, to delineate you know where they messed up or where they were wrong right um i think you could watch in the audience through the film and you could you could gather that more naturally um at, at the same time as you're getting a sense of them as human beings as well you know so yeah that was the approach and so i think that's very much in keeping with um with my commitment and just you know uh, maybe it's a personality thing too i just um you know i'm an educator i'm a filmmaker and um, I think all that requires a, a lot of patience. So maybe that extends itself to um, to the subjects, uh, you know, in the film um, and, and to human beings in general, I hope. And initially there was only two people in on the production team that, that was in Ferguson. Did, did others um, come to Ferguson later or it was just you and, and what is his name, Harry, the, the cinematographer? Jerry. Jerry. Yeah. I mean, initially, yeah, they were the, the, on the first visit. Um, they were just—I think it was just the two of us. Uh, and we might have—I think we picked up someone on the ground to help us, um, you know, with some basic logistics. Um, we may have or, or may not have—I can't remember if it was on that trip. Um, there were a lot of different trips, and then there were sometimes when, when Jerry wasn't available, so I had to pick up local cinematographers as well. So, um, you know, it's—it uh, it was a, there were a variety of people who uh, were involved. Um, but primarily Jerry is the main cinematographer and then other cinematographers came, came on board um, after that as needed, um, following the same sort of cinematic style as best as possible. Now, when, when the entire production team, six and a half years later, when you guys are looking at this, the, the final cut, what was the, the atmosphere like? Oh, we haven't. The production team hasn't gotten together to see this, the final cut. I mean, I've seen it, and that people have seen links to it, um, but um, but you know, because of COVID, um, we've never been in the same space to actually watch it and see it. So um, we'll be in the same place when, during one of the Lemley screenings at the same time, and we'll be able to sort of, and I'll be able to sort of hear from them and and get a sense of their energy um, at that moment. But we haven't unfortunately had that time to be able to see it. Um, but I think, I think um, my sense is that people are proud that they had an opportunity to work on this film. And I think, um, you know, and I'm proud to you know, have been able to work on it. And, um, you know, there are many challenges along the way financially, 
and otherwise, or financial challenges and, and otherwise, but, um, but, you know, after with a great deal of perseverance and, um, and hope, love and beauty, which is what we really focused on, um, we were able to make it through and get to the other side of all that, but it was not, um, was not an easy process. That's why it took six and a half years to get to the finish. It's almost seven, it'll be seven in November. Um, you know, so, well, that's why it took almost, uh, almost seven years was because um, it was not an easy process, learning how to raise money, learning how to be a producer, learning how to be a director, learning how to be, you know, um, putting on many hats, learning when to put one on, take one off, you know, um, just even sort of the, the, the synchronizing of all that um, was difficult. Learning how to raise money was, was difficult, right, you know. Um, and then, um, you know, we're constantly raising money, we're constantly asking for money because now we're trying to get the film out there in the world. We're doing an Academy Award run at the Lemony, right? Um, and so, um, and then we're gonna be doing community outreach. So all that requires money, right? So, um, so it just, just going through those processes that we needed to go through in order to get to this point, um, uh, you know, was, was quite a, an impactful process. I feel like a better human being and, a, and certainly a, a producer. I'm the producer that I, I, I wanted um, I thought there was someone else coming um, to save me, but um, but in the whole process realized that I, I am the producer that I was waiting for. Um, and I had to become that and teach myself to be that in order to make this possible. Really, um, a lot of people came in and gave, you know, crucial help at, at various different times, but it was difficult for any one person to stick with this project, you know, for almost seven years. So it had to be me, right? I'm not faulting any of those people who weren't there the entire time or all the people who helped. I don't want to, um, you know, delegitimize the help, that, the importance of the help that they gave, but um, ultimately, you know, due to the length of time, um, it, it, took, um, it took me driving the ship most of the time in order for it to get here. Um, and that's, um, you know, it's not something I wanted to do, but something I learned how to do. And I'm appreciative of, that, of those skills, the skill set that I built as a result, you know. You mentioned um, an academy run. Ex explain what that is and what that process is. We, we, all see, we all see these award shows and what have you, but we may not exactly understand the importance of Ferguson Rises running at the Lemley Theater gotcha. September 17th to the 23rd. What, what's the importance there with the academy? Right. Um, the, our run at the, the Lemley in Santa Monica from September 17th to the 23rd is really about, um, in order to qualify um, to be considered for um, an Academy Award um, nomination, um, you have to show in the theaters. Um, it used to be you had to show in the theaters in LA and New York, two cities, but with COVID, they've only um, limited to one, one city. So you have to show, in the, show up in the theater, and then that's one of the qualifying uh, criteria um, for um, for the academy to be able to then um, submit your film to them for consideration and to have it be reviewed for a potential nomination. So, so this week is about fulfilling, or that week is about fulfilling that criteria in order to be able to not to be nominated for an Academy Award. Um, you know, would would be great to win it, um, and certainly um, getting as many people out, getting as much support, getting as many eyeballs on it um, gives us um, enough build enough awareness around it, build enough press around it potentially um, that we could have an impact. So um, the more of that we can do, certainly the more it helps. So um, so people go out there and see it, go, go check out the Lemley website. Um, I'm sure that'll come up in the program and uh, and please support. You just explained it, never knew. We, we always see those billboards 
that would say for your consideration and never really understood what that meant, except that they were some kind of way asking to be um, considered for, for an academy. Mm -hmm. those, those, bill, those big billboards for like a small select group of people um, in the academy to, to consider you. I know it's, it's pretty amazing. Because yeah, exactly. Those billboards are up there, and you're like, "Well, I don't consider what I, I'm not part of the academy. What am I considering?" Right? Um, most people are not considering anything, but but the, I guess for those few academy members that drive by, that's when you have uh, that Netflix money, um, you know, and put a million dollars into a campaign, which we don't have yet. But um, my hope is that, well, yeah, sometime in the future, I will have a million dollar campaign. I hope. Most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. So what's next? We, we, know, we know that Ferguson Rises will be running at the Limley Theater in Santa Monica, September 17th through September 23rd, mm -hmm. three times a day, 1.30, 3.40 and 7.40 mm -hmm. in Santa Monica. But after that, what's next for Ferguson Rises? We know you're, you, already, you already gave us a sneak peek for, 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 for November. But for your production company, what's next? What, what's on the horizon? Um, we have lots of projects on, on, on the horizon or lots of projects that I'm, I'm developing. Um, uh, I mean, it's a little hard to develop all of them and focus on them because this, this um, process um, of getting ready for the theatrical release, um, you know, getting ready for our eventual PBS release, um, our, you know, um, our online release on you know whatever platform that is whether it's Netflix or or Amazon or somewhere else um, you know all that takes up so much time but um, but I see um, I mean one thing I'm working on is a, is a civil rights documentary um, which um, you know I don't want to get into too many details on because I, I want to until this stuff is really fully formed I don't want to talk too much about it but but I would love to um, do something on, on the uh, black fathers that have lost their children. I'd love to do that. Um, um, yeah, I'd love to um, work in this space, in the social justice space. But I'd also like to do um, some narrative films as well. I have some horror film ideas and some other film ideas that, I, that I'm, I'm developing. But everything has sort of this um, political undergirding underneath it. Um, so it's not just horror for horror's sake or, you know, um, but I also feel like, um, like I have a, um, you know, a responsibility to my son. So there are a few films in this police series that I'd like to make because, um, you know, I feel like I really want to set the space for my son to live in a safer country and in a safer space. Um, and I can't help but think, you know, what am I making films for um, if I've got this kid here and, um, you know, and I'm not making them to make his life better. What am I making them for? So I have a hard time thinking of just making a, you know, a just straight up comedy or whatever else, if it doesn't alter the quality of his life and the quality of life of other black people, you know, what am I making it for? I mean, you know, perhaps if I'm offered $9 million or whatever to make a movie, I, I might have to rethink that, that decision temporarily. But, um, but I feel like um, if given the opportunity, I really want to make uh, films that alter the consciousness and alter the um, the conditions, um, you know, of Black people in this country and around the world, because um, you know, we, we we need that support, we need that hope, love, and beauty. Most definitely, the name of your production company. The the name of the umbrella actually company, um, the umbrella project. Yeah, 
as Hope, Love, and Beauty. Right. Have your parents seen the film? Yeah, I mean, you know, they're not American, so I mean, you know, this doesn't register for them in the in quite the same way. Um, and they're older, so you know, so they're just getting them to. They watch it on like my sister's cell phone because they couldn't figure out how to get it on the computer screen, and you know, so the quality of however they watch it, I'm gonna, and then you know, three people looking at a little cell phone. I doubt that they're concentrating, you know. So yeah, they they've watched it, but I don't know. I don't know to what extent that they've uh, they've gotten it uh, um, completely, and uh, and then again, not being American, I don't know that it, uh, it it you know that they have the same experience of it culturally. I don't you know, I don't know. They they've sort of been pulled more towards the American side by you know because of my experiences, um, you know, my getting arrested and framed, my becoming sort of aware of of the politics of things, but um, but I don't know. You know, I think it's like Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya uh, said when he won the, I want to, I slipped into Kaluuya, Kaluuya, but um, Daniel Kaluuya said when he won the Academy Award, his mom was like, does this get guarantee you more work? You know, he said, no. Does, do they give you money for winning it? No. She's like, so what is this? What are they, what are they giving you? What does this thing mean? They, they don't give you money. They don't, you don't, you're not guaranteed any more work. What is this thing? Is it a statue? What do you, you can't eat a statue. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> you know, so, so in that way, uh, you know, I think we're, you know, have very, um, you know, foreign sort of practical parents. Um, my mom being Jamaican, she might, you know, she might get it a little bit more, but, um, but, you know, we're still from that heritage where people, they want to see concrete, uh, you know, concrete results. Like, did you stop a police killing, you know, or did, uh, did some statistic, you know, they're looking for, they're not into the uh, into the non-empirical world that, that filmmakers and artists are into. They want to see the the evidence, you know, of something, you know. So, so that you know. So, but I, but they're proud, and they're happy that I got it done. I mean, I'm sure there were moments that they doubted it over the course of seven years uh, or almost seven years. I'm sure. So, so they're they're happy um, for sure. Excellent, excellent. I, I'm sure it is challenging for any parent to um, have artists as, as children. <laughs> pain, pain, painful to watch, yeah. Right, right, right. And, and of course, I, I don't want to talk about the end of the film, but I want to talk about the end of the film. You can, you, can, you, can, uh, you can sort of allude to it, I guess, if you want. Right, because when, you, when you're talking about, you know, my, you know your parents are, are, are not, are, are immigrants, and they may not understand it from American perspective, but the end of your film shows that they would understand it. They probably need to see it on a TV screen at the very least, um, not on a cell phone. Um, so I, I gotta get them uh, prepared to use technology in a way that uh, that is, that is uh, that allows them to see it. So I think, I mean, you know, eventually when it comes out on TV, um, then they'll be able to watch it um, because they know how to turn on the TV and get that going. But um, but getting them to work on the computer is a little uh, little more of a task, you know. So yeah, but I, but nonetheless, I mean, I think they they seen the press. They probably even read it. Um, I, I haven't. I don't know for certain, but I sent it to them. I, I think they're proud of it, and they're proud that um, you know. They just want to see me uh, get out there and and do some work and uh, and make some money, really. <laughs> so I can stop asking them to support me on my projects. <laughs> you know.
only if they want to stop supporting you on your projects. Give us the website, how, to, how do we get more information about the film and tell us about this showing that's happening September 17th to the 23rd. Yeah, um, the website is um, hopelovebeauty.com um, or you can, you, you can type in fergusonrises.com and it will direct you to hopelovebeauty.com which is actually the original name of the film, The Hope, Love and Beauty Project. Um, and um, that website is not particularly robust right now. So we got to work on that. But what is, what is key is entering your email address in that website so we can get in touch with you, in touch with you when things um, arise of importance. I am primarily the person that does all that outreach. So um, I'm pretty busy. So you're not going to get a whole lot of emails, but you're just going to get just the crucial ones um, as they arise, you know, every you know, month or a couple of weeks at, at best, um, at best, probably every month. Um, you know, something, yeah, something in that order. So, um, so it'd be wonderful to, to have you communicate with us, to have you put your email address in. And, um, and more importantly, I think there are also going to be community activities and conversations and dialogues that, um, that will be important for people to be involved with um, if you care about the subject matter. Um, and as Black people, I'm sure many of you do, because our, our lives depend on, on our ability to be safe and to, and to be free, right? Um, in a society that works often works against those those things, right? So, yeah. And you you also you also said um, during during the break that if if an organization wants to um, come and see the film, I guess guess it could be a good um, field trip. Also, yes, exactly. Yeah, we're definitely we want to blow out the screening. Thank you. Uh, we want to blow it out and really show the academy that. Um, that films about Black life, films about Black humanity, films that inspire um, uh, cross-racial dialogue um, are, are films that are valued um, and that are important. I think, um, you, know, you know, people aren't quite sure, right? And we got to continually show the Academy, which is, um, which is predominantly white and male. Um, we got to show them that these things are important because they don't live in this world. Um, and they did so that so for them to be able to understand this, um, we need to show them. We need to demonstrate our support. All right, all right. Okay, well, you guys, Ferguson Rises, make sure you put this on your calendar, September 17th to the 23rd. Check out Ferguson Rises, a film by UCLA alum Movalaji that tells the story of a father's grief in a small town that gave rise to the global Black Lives Matter movement. If you're in Los Angeles or the surrounding areas, Ferguson Rises opens on September 17th through to the September 23rd. I know we keep saying the dates because we want dates to stick with you. Showing times is three times a day, 1.30, 3.40, and 7.40 p.m. at the Lemley Monica Theater, 1332 2nd Street in Santa Monica. For more information, go to Lemley dot com forward slash film forward slash Ferguson dash rises. And of course, check out fergusonrises.com. Movalaji, thank you so much for spending this time with me on Conversation Peace. Peace, love, and happiness to you. Um, I can't wait to see how this film just blows up and may May, may God just continue to open doors for you. May you Thank continue you. to feel the spirit of God like you did when your wife 
spoke to you, what you was already thinking, when you felt the vibrations on the ground, you and your cinematographer, and when you felt them again, six and a half years later, when you watched the film, may every experience that you get as a vision be executed in such a manner. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you to my guest, filmmaker Mobilaji Olambuwanu. And if you are in Los Angeles or the surrounding areas, Ferguson Rises opens on September 17th through to September 23rd, showing three times a day, 1.30, 3.40, and 7.40 p.m. at the Lemley Monica Theater, 1332 2nd Street in Santa Monica. For more information, go to lemley.com forward slash film forward slash Ferguson dash rises and check out fergusonrises.com. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook also. Thank you to Leslie Radford, Adam Rice, Michael Washington of M. Wash So for the opening and closing theme song and always you, our RGLA family. Reach us on Radio Justice Facebook. Give us some love. Give us some likes as you listen to us worldwide anytime on radiojustice.org. I'm Angela Birdsong. Once again, thank you for allowing me to share this very special experience of Conversation Peace on Radio Justice with you. Remember to be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be brave, be courageous, and let all that you do be done with love. Love.